This programme was first broadcast on Canterbury's community access radio station Plains FM 96.9 and was made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. Kia ora and welcome. This is Garden of Sound brought to you with thanks to Mint Finance business loans made easy. Today on the show, Mark Royal, guitarist for some of the best bands to come out of Christchurch. But first, we're getting closer to June 20th in Garden of Sound Live. It's all happening at D4 in Woolston. There'll be three bands on the night, technically two bands and a duo who more than make up for their numbers with letters, 48 of them in fact. There's a Tuesday between a Monday and between a Wednesday will bring their dreamy pop sensibilities to bear alongside Portland, a super cool five-piece from Kashmir High School, and sneaky Caribbean monk seals, channeling pretty much any rock group you can think of from the 70s. Tickets are a super affordable $15 in advance. Absolutely worth it to see three groups at the beginning of what will be very long careers. Book now by visiting gardenofsound.nz or if you're feeling handy, jump onto eventbrite.com and search Garden of Sound. Right, Mark Royal. For over 25 years, he's been touring and writing and playing and breaking up and reforming and supporting and managing. Well, now he's got himself a new gig with a little three-piece called Vaults. They're playing at Blue Smoke tonight, but what happened back in the mid-noughties with arguably Mark's biggest band, The Valves? And what does the future hold for one of Christchurch's most talented and supportive musical sons? This is the Garden of Sound interview with Mark Royal on Plains FM 96.9. Mark, I want you to tell me about music in your life growing up. Do you remember the first time you heard music? Uh, Thinking back, like vague, vague memories of when I was a kid, like really young. Um, Like mum and dad used to play a lot of records and I just, I remember kind of just, you know, sitting around playing around the house and just hearing hearing music i don't know if that gave me kind of you know um an incentive to kind of start getting interested or whatever because like they they were kind of like i remember mum was into abba and your dad would be listening to like roberta flack or kind of like um more sort of avant-garde jazz and you know all sorts you know but i, I yeah that was sort of my first memory, I guess. And what about um, sort of playing music or performing music? Were there any instruments in the house? No, no. Strangely, I've grown up as the only, even with my extended family, like with cousins and nieces and nephews, and so far, um, yeah, I'm the only musician. So some kind of recessive gene. Yeah. yeah. So when did, uh, was it at school? When did you did you yeah. open your mouth and something came out? Well, I went. I went to a... You know, I'd, I'd been an avid listener of music, but I'd never sort of thought about taking up an instrument till high school. Yeah. And I went to an all-boys Catholic school, I went to St. Bede's College, which yeah. I really didn't enjoy. Especially <laughs> for the music. Yeah, and it was, I mean, this is quite a few years ago now, so it was very sport and academic driven yeah. as, a, as a school. And um, I imagine it probably still is. I Well, I think it's improved. Like, they'd, uh, yeah, last year they built a big performance theatre and things are, are, are quite different. But our music department was consisted of like a tiny prefab classroom. It was horrible. Most of the instruments were broken. Um, we had about seven people in our music class. But it was kind of cool. I sort of felt like it was a rebellious subject. <laughs> um, and I just, yeah, I just got really interested in playing the guitar. So that was my instrument of choice. You've got seven peers around you. Where else, who else were you sort of like getting on with around town well, music wise? Well, it was, uh, there was an interesting year really because for such a small class, 
half of us ended up going on to pursue a career in music. So um, Jason Kerrison yep. went on to do his solo career in Opshop. Yep. Matt Tracy from Opshop was in my in my year, and um, Tim Skidden went and joined the Feelers and and Opshop. Was it kind of like the the chemistry department exploded and some sort of musical wave sort of went through? Yeah, I, I guess. What was yeah. what was happening around um, around those years when you were at high school, music wise? I mean, what were you, what were your influences? Who was sort of uh, who were you tuned I, into? Man, I I really liked. Um, I sort of grew up. I got quite into sort of early kind of metal and a bit of hard rock. What sort of band? Kind of stuff. Um, Iron Maiden, um, Black Sabbath, Metallica. Um, Which is a slightly sort of like heavier bent than what Tim and Matt, I'm sure, were, yeah. were listening to. Yeah, I, I think U2 was pretty massive around then. Um, those guys were probably more into more of that sort of... You know, indie commercial sort of sort of music. So, what was the first? What was the first band that Mark uh, got into? Um, well, sort of with the with the music I was interested in, I started out getting into like just a covers band, um, just to try and you know figure out how to how to work this instrument and <laughs> and, and you know sort of what a band does and that kind of thing. Um, so I, we, I was in a group. I think we called ourselves Absence of Right or something kind of an, an anarchic. Um, and yeah, we ended up doing a few gigs at like, I think it was called McKenzie's Hotel. It was called The Playroom back mm-hmm. then. Mm-hmm. It was quite a good little scene actually. Yeah. Um, and there were, you know, bands called like Hammerack and yes. that sort of thing who were, you know, we sort of aspired to be like, you know. Mm-hmm. Any other venues of note from around that time? Just uh, those people that have a vastly different Christchurch these days? Uh, the Blenheim Road Hotel was another one. Um, and we were quite young back then, so I don't even know if we were old enough to be in the bars. But you know, we still managed to play these gigs. Mm-hmm. Must have been close to the drinking age, or whatever. But um, there was just a yeah, just a cool kind of underground sort of heavy scene. Was there a dream to do music full time? Oh yeah, like from the time I started playing guitar and those first few chords, I just thought this is and you know, um, you know, watching MTV and all those things that were a big deal back then. You know, that was just that was that was the dream, really. So, what was the um, what was the family's thought on this? Well, I think they realised I was so, so passionate about it that that's what I was going to do. So, you know, they just kind of supported it, really. Which is cool. And to this day, actually, they still rock up to my gigs, which is really nice. Were there any other avenues, um, study-wise, that you thought, okay, if the music doesn't take off, then? Uh, not really. Like, I took up just a bunch of dead-end jobs that I hated out of school just to earn a living to try and, you know, buy gear and um, play and play music. Mm. Um, just always holding on to that kind of ambition that, you know, one day something might happen. Mm. Um, and I think early 90s was when... I started getting a better understanding of music and a wider appreciation for different styles of music and um, the, the the alternative kind of scene and original scene in Christchurch really started to bubble back then. Yeah, what sort of bands are we talking about? Um, like there was bands like Pumpkinhead, um, Love's Ugly Children. 147 Swordfish. Yeah, t- totally. Um, all really great bands and, you know, filling two, 300 capacity venues in town at Warner's Hotel and, you know... Um, Canterbury University. Yeah, I, yep. I do remember. Yes. Yep. Um, the subway. Um, Where was that? Uh, um, it turned into the Jet Set Lounge later on. It had a few different kind of um, owners and names over the years, but I sort of just started sort of changing what you know what I was playing and, and met new people and um, formed a band called Swallow, which was kind of um, 
yeah, an alternative kind of rock band. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, yeah, we, we kind of played together for about a year, I think. Recorded an EP and, you know, so it was my first kind of foray into music production as well. Um, you know, actually recording music and trying to release our own material. I think it is time for some music. Now, I always ask about sort of influences, and you've sort of gone from the Christchurch sort of bubbling alternative scene to, to some sort of heavy stuff. What would be sort of a, an artist that would sort of, you know, typify some of the um, th- stuff you've played? It's, it's, a, it's hard to pick a favourite band, but I think one that's just kind of resonated still to this day with me would be Led Zeppelin. Mm-hmm. And I, I was always a massive fan of Jimmy Page. In fact, all those individual musicians, they were just like a super group, really. Yep. And so original, you know, like they really pioneered that kind of scene. Is there a particular song from Led Zepp? That yeah, I, I mean, they've had so many hits, but I really like a track called The Wanton Song. Mm-hmm. It's just the groove in it is just, you know, it's just infectious. I love it. A really, really cool song.
This is the Garden of Sound interview with Mark Royal on Plains FM 96.9. Mark, I want to talk about uh, gigs and concerts. Obviously, you went to St. Bede's and you grew up with some other musical luminaries and that kind of thing. What was the first big gig that you got along to? Uh, first recollection of a proper live show, embarrassing, was Ice House at the Town Hall. I forget what year. I might have been like 12 or 13. Funnily enough... James Meharry from uh, RDU said exactly the same thing. Really? So both of you were at the same show. So what wow, was your... I couldn't imagine James at an Ice show. So what was your sort of lasting memory of the, the concert? I thought Ivor Davies was pretty cool as a front man, you know, um, and it was, it was quite exciting to watch, you know, like a band like that. It was, it was a great performance, and I just got walked away going, you know, this is... This is pretty cool. Um, so what's the best show uh, that you've seen? Ha- hands down would be um, Bruce Springsteen. Like, as a as a performer and as even as a, like, you know, a band performer, it's just amazing. I've seen him four, four times live now, and it's I don't normally repeat seeing bands. You know, I want, you sort of have that list where you think I want to see that act once in my lifetime. But um, each time I see him, it's like a different show. Same energy and same sound, but a different show. You know, he, they're just... Um, yeah, he's kind of the consummate performer for me. Is there anything that you sort of taken from Springsteen that you sort of like bought? Not necessarily the stage act, but maybe the the ethos. Oh yeah, the work ethic's amazing. You know, they're like the band that just won't stop. And even when the band did stop, he carried on. And now the bands, the street band, are back. You know, um, I mean, what a career! They're over forty years together, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I just as a writer, I'd really, I just really respect what he's done you know he's, he's the greatest storyteller and i like songs where you know it's lyrically engaging kind of takes you on a bit of a journey and you know um you can you feel like you can identify with some things in the in the songs you know so springsteen 40 years yourself is around i don't know close to 30 years doing doing music and and playing things um, I feel really old now. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I am. Look at it. It's, it's testament to the... Where did the years go, man? Uh, they, they, they do go by. What are some of the highs and lows of uh, performing around the country? Have there been any moments where you've gone, nah, don't want to do it anymore? Oh, uh, yeah. I've had some, some... I feel fortunate. I mean, you know, while we're, we're, you know, all musicians strive for you know, greater success, um, I, I have still done a lot of stuff I'm really grateful for. I battled away in bands for a few years that didn't, you know, make any headway. You know, I was with a group, um, I left New Zealand for a while actually with a group called Seven Tongues and we um, had a crack at trying to get into Australia uh, and this was around late 90s, close, just maybe early 2000s and so there was a bit of an exodus of Kiwi X doing well over in Australia around then like um, She Hard and Weta and Fur Patrol and you know, there was quite a quite a few bands went over there and were doing well and getting signed to major labels. And we kind of thought, oh, you know, we, we'd done okay in Christchurch, no real comprehension of the big wide world, but thought we were great and we are going to go and change the world. And, um, yeah, it was a real eye-opener. You know, we, we really struggled over there to, to make headway, you know, and it was my first real introduction to kind of understanding, you know, how the how the world industry operates as a business. Yeah. You know, I'd just been a guy playing songs in a band and thought that's what it was all about. Yeah. Um, discovered on your talent and all that kind of stuff or whatever but it's you know it, it's a big machine and it's a business you've got to be really savvy with and, and work really hard at Jumping ahead quite a few years when you talk about uh, supporting musicians sort of outside of just playing music you were mm. involved with Chart mm. now what does Chart stand for? 
It was the Crosshitch Music Industry Trust. Was its was its you know its business name? Yeah, I, I don't quite know how the abbreviation fitted into that. <laughs> Many people didn't. Um, but sounds y- great. Yeah, and um, it was a great organisation. You know, it was set up um, quite a few years before I um, you know became the manager. But you know, just with um, you know best interest at heart to help basically develop and nurture and be a be a kind of an industry support to Christchurch mm-hmm. you know there's a lot of big organizations based in Auckland and some in Wellington who have kind of like um, driven the and governed the sort of the music scene for a number of years mm. and you know I think Charts saw um, you know a bit of a void there in Christchurch where there was a lot of great talent but a lot of people who didn't have the industry knowledge or you know quite the understanding as to how to connect the dots and and build that network through the country. Are you involved in any music support um, uh, organisations currently in Christchurch? Not so much anymore. Um, or do you have a feel? Is there is there any support sort of in Christchurch um, or around the country for people living in Christchurch doing music that you know of? There, well, there there, there are organisations in Auckland that you can sort of network into. Um, but, but then again, again you say it's in Auckland. Yeah, it's a little. It is a little challenging being based here, and if you're not. Re, you know, and regular contact and visibility with some of those those places, it can be a bit tough. I, you know, I do still. I think it was, it was a shame chart disbanded. Um, Why did that happen? We had a, a board of a number of um, people who had key roles within you know the industry, and they all um, you know donated their time for a number of years, and obviously all went through you know the whole um, you know earthquake side of things that um, all you know musicians and. You know, the rest of us in Christchurch went through. Um, so, you know, had their own set of challenges that they were sort of working around and still trying to commit time to um, to, to the trust. So I think it just kind of reached a point because the trust was, was based on funding as well, you know, and, and constantly chasing, um, you know, finance just to survive and, and support, you know, um, a staff member to, to be able to, you know, keep driving the place. Um, got really, really hard. You know, with the, there was a lot of a lot of needy organisations post quake and Christchurch as well. You know, that, um, there's only so much funding to go around. So I think everyone just reached a point where we thought, you know, it offered a lot to the community, and, and a lot of people just needed to move on with their lives and, and pursue other things. So, can you see any kind of self-supporting model in Christchurch working? At the end of the day, a lot of a lot of that stuff it just comes down to you as an individual or, or you as a group to. Um, work together and you know try and I mean there's a lot of good um, knowledge and and um, web-based kind of services and things that you can you know you can gain you know sort of support and help from just as far as you know helping you know build your industry knowledge and um, but you know at, at the end of the day it's kind of you just got to kind of build your own little empire here first I think and and then look at you know a lot of a lot of acts are still getting success overseas you know I think um, don't fall into that trap of thinking New Zealand's the be on end all if you want to make a career um, it's fallen you know look at like um, you know especially out of Christchurch even you know that um, Marlon Williams and mm. Aldous Harding and some of those artists you know cracking it into internationally is just amazing yeah I think it's time for some music mm. now you did mention Bruce Springsteen earlier yeah, so I guess if I had a favourite music anthem, um, you know, predictably of his catalogue, I'd be Born to Run. 
Why Born to Run? I just, I just, it just has a great energy to it. And I think if anyone who's, you know, lived brought up in a small town, you know, at, um, there's a great kind of escapism kind of message in there. Machines sprung from cages on highways. 
Thanks for being with us today. As I mentioned at the top of the show, Garden of Sound is delighted to be sponsored by Mint Finance. One of the areas Mint Finance specialise in is equipment finance. It's also known as asset finance, and it's specifically structured for businesses that need to purchase equipment. For example, you might need a new van for getting your band to gigs, or perhaps you're building a new studio. You need to invest in some top quality gear. Mint can offer equipment finance for up to 100% of the purchase price, which is fully secured against the new asset on terms of up to five years, which means you can concentrate on the business, making music or building your musical empire. Obviously, terms and conditions apply, but you'd best be served by chatting to a Mint business finance specialist today on 0800 666 That's 0800 666 or by visiting mintfinance.co.nz. That's mintfinance.co.nz. This is the Garden of Sound interview with Mark Royal on Plains FM 96.9. We just heard from legend Bruce Springsteen that was born to run now, talking about some of your previous uh, musical efforts. We've got Swallow and we've got Seven Tongues, uh, but possibly The Valves might have been uh, your biggest uh, musical effort. What was the uh, the sort of the formation? How did that how did that work out? Yeah, that, it was funny how that came about. Like I, when I left Australia after being in Seven, like seven Tongues, we were over there for about four four and a half years, and that's a decent amount of time. Yeah. It's not like you just sort of fell over and came back after yeah, six months. Yeah, I mean, I loved living over there. Yeah. I, it was a great city. Yeah, um, and we had a, we had a lot of fun. So it's Melbourne or Sydney? Melbourne. Yeah. Um, Why Melbourne? It's always Melbourne as opposed to Sydney. We went there because at the time um, it just seemed like a bit more of an accessible kind of city. Like Sydney's a bit more uh, spread out. It's a bit of a central business district kind of vibe. And Melbourne seemed a bit more arts focused. Yes. And had some great venues and quite a few major labels still were based there at the time when we went over. Um, Sony and BMG and Warner and, you know, they all had offices there and we were, into, we were like really annoying door knockers, you know, we just, there was heaps of people we could kind of pester um, in the hope of getting getting signed or something. But um, I just kind of reached the point where, you know, we'd done, only done a handful of shows, made no money and, you know, worked hard and I'd, I was sort of missing the family and I just sort of thought it was, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd done my dash there. Um, so I came back thinking I wasn't going to do music again. I was quite disheartened um, and thought I'd just look at something else. And then I ended up... Um, Connecting up with um, a guy called Brent Milligan, who was a singer of Pumpkinhead, um, and th- that band had, had disbanded, and um, Don McClure, who was in a band called Slim, who did quite well, our Wildside Records band, um, and the drummer from Seven Tongues moved back not long after, um, Phil Bowes, and yeah, it was just a coming together of people, we'd all known each other, kind of through the scene, but hadn't played music together, and they just got tabled at a party one night when we all had a few beers and like we should do a band and <laughs> and it happened um and yeah we were together six months and ended up um getting signed to just a, a new independent label that was um uh managed by james reed from the feelers um and yeah we put a record out and yeah had some commercial success with it which was great the rock picked up a track um which ended up on high rotation for six months. And on the back of that, we, we picked up some really great shows. We sort of had our, our glory year where we um, we played main stage at Homegrown. Um, we did a bunch of sort of smaller festivals around the country and we opened for Ozzy Osbourne 
at Rock to Wellington and Bon Jovi in Christchurch. Those are big names. Yeah. They're big gigs. Do you think some of the success uh, was the fact that you had done some of those other sort of earlier offerings and maybe you were a bit more mature as performers in that group? Yeah, possibly. I mean, there there was a bit of interest because I guess the the press kit kind of was a bit of an interesting read for people, you know, sort of seeing what these people collectively could put together. Um, And the timing, I think, you know, um, was pretty good. The the industry was still, you know, sort of hadn't gone into the full decline. Um, what do you mean by full decline? Uh, well, p- like people were still buying records. The the whole digital platforms kind of side of things hadn't hadn't quite taken off, and that that kind of happened halfway through our career. So it was really interesting to be involved in that and sort of <laughs> seeing CD sales disappear before your eyes. Um, it's hard. Yeah, it it was. I'm glad we got to experience a little bit of the highs, but there were certainly some lows. It got really hard. Um, and so, what was the uh, the nail in the coffin? Or the final uh, man, it it, it was. Um, you know, we had a few um, a few disagreements with the way the business side of things were, was being done. You know, um, and we had a lot of internal kind of conflicts. It was interesting. You know, it's that classic thing of the bigger the band got. Um, the more opinionated people within the band became and you know we all just sort of started pulling in different directions and um, it just got really unenjoyable it got to that point where it's just you know we decided it wasn't worth our time to to be continuing which was such a hard decision to make Mm. Um, you know given the the level of success we had had you know that was just that was the reality of it really going back to the mid-noughties um is there anything, is there a sort of seminal moment, is there a fork in the roads, anything that you would have done differently? It was just kind of hard really because it was, it was just the, the, the hand we were dealt. You know, I, I was, um, I'd learned a bit about the industry just self-taught over, you know, my time in other bands, but I was, I was still no expert and a lot of it was kind of, we you know, we were kind of doing stuff on the fly and, 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 and too, like, you know, you, life is, is born out of experience and, we weren't, you know, quite ready to deal with. I think with some of the, the situations that we ended up in, you know, um, and I don't know how you'd change that really. If we if we'd maybe um, been signed to, you know, a major manager or someone, you know, things may have been a little different. You know, it could have been better, could have been worse. It's such a fickle industry. Yeah, you know, and I found that all the way along. You know, a lot of thing, a lot of the good things that happened to us came out of opportunity. Yeah, you know, it was um, the right conversation with the right person at the right time, and I mean, that's how we got Bon Jovi. You know, we were, um, we had a track on the rock. They came to Christchurch. We were kind of the talk of the town at the time, and the promoter had got in touch with someone who'd seen us play recently and said, "Hey, you need to book these guys," and and that's how it happened. You know, I think if we'd gone door knocking for that, we may never have got the show. Yeah, you know, so. It's the way of the world. Mm. I think it's time to hear um, hear a track. From yeah, the th- this one's interesting. It it was kind of like, it was probably our least favorite on the album, and we nearly it's that classic story of we none of us really wanted it to go on. We thought, ah, oh, this is a bit commercial for us, um, and we kept it on, and that was the song that got picked up by rock, you know, rock radio in the country. So, and the name of the track is uh, "Walking in the Rain." <laughs> i 
This is the Garden of Sound interview with Mark Royal on Plains FM 96.9. Uh, we just heard Walking in the Rain, which by your own, I guess, testament, wasn't your favourite song of the uh, of the first album. But um, I want to talk about uh, what you're doing now. Um, it's a role in sort of event production and things. But um, there's also a, a new band on the uh, on the horizon. Uh, vaults. So, how did this how did this come about? Yes. Yeah, so, um, 
Sort and of, why this of... preoccupation with bands beginning with V? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know how that came about. Um, I yeah, when I, when I left the music trust, I picked up a um, a job with Christchurch City Council and the event production team, which I've been quite enjoying. Um, I'd done a lot of freelance event work in years past, um, and you must have learned heaps from you know all the gigs and everything. Yeah, so. yeah, totally. I mean, and I, I mean, I think way back to you know um, years ago, I. St- I you know, started out just doing roadie work for you know some of the local production companies and working on a lot of the big international shows. Actually, and that probably helped was a bit of a driver to you know to wanting to actually you know push myself to be successful in, in music to um, you know seeing those you know, working on those big events. But um, yeah, the job has been it's very demanding. It's um, takes up a lot of time, and uh, so music's kind of gone on the back burner a bit for me. So it's been really nice to pick this up again. Uh, we've been working on the project for but over a year. Um, started as a, as a duo, became a trio, back to a duo, and we've just become a trio again. So who is uh, who is part of the trio? Yourself, obviously. Yep. Yeah, um, and working with a, a, um, a female vocalist called Lorna Hay. She's a bit of an um, undiscovered gem. She's sort of yeah got a fantastic voice and hasn't um, done a lot of um, live performance kind of stuff in bands, but really wanted to. So, um, yeah, we've been writing together and recently recruited a bass player called uh, Victoria Knott. So she's from a local group called The Response, a really cool kind of um, indie electro kind of duo. Um, yeah, and just been sort of writing together and building the repertoire and so it feels, figuring out a bit of a, what we you know direction and what we're doing. It feels a little so. bit of a departure from from rock, Mark. It, it is. I'm still um, still got got the Gibson and the Marshall out. And there's a bit of distortion in there. Good. <laughs> um, but it's, yeah, it's a little more stripped back than stuff I've done in the past at, at the moment. Um, now but it's still sort of finding, finding its way. Now you've got a gig this evening. You're playing at Blue Smoke and supporting mm. Deepwater Creek. Yeah, so... Correct? How did um, that come about? I've known of those guys for a little while, in fact, especially the singer Matt Smith. So I actually did some work um, with his band, earlier band, his Von Strum years ago. Um, did some music management with him. So Matt and I have been been friends for years and um yeah it was just a they offered us a chance to open for them at their um the ep launch which will be which will be great they're, they're running some really great music um and good chance for us to you know get the band out there on a, on a big stage and um blue smoke's a great venue so and opening for you there's merlin co as well Are you familiar yeah with their... i i haven't seen them play but i've, I've heard they're great so absolutely fantastic it'll be, be a really good lineup so what does the future hold uh for mr royal or vaults, in fact. Yeah, I mean, I'm quite enjoying just letting things find their way. You know, um, I've always just been so kind of um, goal driven and and had a business plan and a you know with with bands I've been in, um, and I think that's been really nice with this group just to sit back and write songs and and just let things happen as they happen. You know, I, I mean, we we definitely want to get some content out and and um, we might build the band a little more yet there might be room for some other instrumentation and we'll get some get some recording done in the next sort of six to twelve months fantastic yeah. in that sort of music mentoring or, or support mode is there anyone that we should be looking out for that you've sort of heard and you think hey here's a good act i really like the response um working with Vic, you know sort of they they, they write some pretty some pretty cool music and you know really different too with um you know having electronic drums and you know andy loops everything and you know they're, they're pretty pretty clever 
Mark, it's been brilliant to have you on Garden of Sound, um, as is the uh, as is the custom. Uh, what song do you want to play us out with today? Uh, so this is a bit of a new discovery for me. Um, I went across to Byron Bay Blues and Roots Festival. Um, Fortunate a f- man. A few months ago. Yeah, man. Yeah. I've always wanted to go and finally got there and it was the best music festival I've been to. As Neil Cox said when he was on the show, oh, exactly, yeah. he did nice. rave about it. It was it was just such a fan focused event, you know, like the way the festival was set up was just fantastic, and the quality of the music. I mean, there's five stages. I hadn't heard of half the acts that were playing, and yet everything I saw was I couldn't fault, you know. So brilliantly so curated, good. yeah. yeah. Um, and this group, Vintage Trouble, I had heard of before I went over, but hadn't seen them live. And I would say if I had to pick next to the boss, the best live act I've seen, like it would be these guys. The the energy on stage, the singer was like handstands, you know, stage diving just and didn't miss a note. <laughs> they were just, yeah, so cool. And just I really like a lot of old blues music as well. So hearing kind of a bit more of a modern spin on that, I think it's pretty cool. So yeah, Vintage Trouble, Blues Hand Me Down, I think is a track. Mark, thanks so much for being on the show. Thanks for having me. I hope I haven't bored everybody. <laughs> that was a lot of fun. It was nice to nice to talk about the industry again.
Now, Mark, by his own admission off air, failed to mention the six odd years he spent with the Easy Hearts. Once again, pairing up with Jason Bird from Seven Tongues on vocals. The Easy Hearts broke up a while back, but they're playing a reunion gig next month at Duck Central. And this track is called Escape. Time for my track of the week, and it's from Earth Tongue. Their new album, Floating Being, is out in two weeks. You can pre-order a copy by going to earthtongue.bandcamp.com. Anyway, here it is, a delicious little number called Microscopic God.
That's all for today. My guest was Mark Royal, currently playing in vaults. Who coincidentally happened to be performing this evening at Blue Smoke in Woolston. You can find out heaps more about Mark by visiting gardenofsound.nz and clicking on his picture on the front page. From there, you'll be able to hear more about all of the acts we talked about today and link through to the vault social media and booking pages where you can get tickets for tonight's gig. Remember, just over the road from Blue Smoke, you'll find D4, which is where Garden of Sound Live is being held on Thursday, the 20th of June. Tickets are a crazy $15 to get in. For that, you'll get three very original Christchurch bands in an alcohol-free setting, which is great for a school night. Just head along to gardenofsound.nz to book or eventbrite.com and search for Garden of Sound. Next week on the show, another very cool Christchurch beat-pop combo originally out of UC. That's what the kids are calling it. It's the Radlers, who just released another awesome new single. This has been Garden of Sound, presented by Mint Finance. Business loans made easy. Until next week, keep well, keep listening, and keep playing. Hi there, da.